Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Thanks for our sermon today is from the gospel reading. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In a remote corner of a forgotten part of the world, a woman gasps for breath and cries out in pain. Man stands alone near her and tries to offer what help and comfort he can, but it's not much. Indeed, at the moment, he feels altogether helpless and more than a little awkward. Couple is huddled in crude surroundings, nothing elegant, nothing particularly sanitary, but at least they're warm and dry and protected from the elements. A cry of pain again fills the cramped, dimly lit space, and then all is still. And finally, the silence is broken by another cry, a new cry, the unmistakable and insistent cry of an infant. New life has entered the world. Child fills his lungs with a thick, warm air and lets out another startled wail. A smile touches the corners of the woman's lips, and the man laughs out loud. Their new baby, their first, is alive and healthy. The child is swiftly bundled up and then hugged close by his mother. An overwhelming sense of joy, gratitude, and pride fills the couple. This child is just like them. The same skin, the same eyes, the same fingers, the same face, the same name, the same heritage, the same sin. Yes, this newborn baby is just like his parents in every way, right down to his broken, sinful nature. The child's name does not matter. The child is each one of us. This child is me. This child is you. Every single one of us came into this world in the same way, essentially the same way that this figurative baby did. You were born of two human parents. Through a physical union, a new physical child came into existence. And the offspring of this union inherited all the physical properties of his parents. The baby eats and cries and wets and spits up. The baby is real, a material physical creature, and the baby inherits problems like his parents. Susceptibility to disease, sharp pangs of hunger and pain, disappointment and sorrow, and finally, certainly, the common destiny of all physical creatures, death. Here at the birth, that seems far away, but it is inevitable. A baby is born in the flesh and it inherits all the properties of the flesh, including, most certainly, death. 
A flesh-born baby inherits his parents' spiritual heritage as well. He comes into the world with a scream, and he spends the rest of his life kicking and screaming. Screaming at parents, screaming at siblings, at teachers, at bosses, at the world, at God. From the time of his conception, a baby lives in the flesh and he fights the struggles of the flesh. Life in the flesh is tough. It's dangerous. It's terrifying. And it always ends the same way with decaying flesh. This is the way of life for those born in the flesh. A struggle from start to finish, a struggle against disease, a struggle to avoid pain, a struggle to find happiness, a struggle to restrain immorality, a struggle to contain and alleviate guilt, a struggle somehow, some way to elude the inevitable and escape death itself. That's what life is like in the flesh. Because life in the flesh is the pain-filled struggle that it is, people have tried continually to find some way to get out. It seems that if man could just slip free of the flesh, he'd be all right. If only he could shake off this clumsy mass of flesh with all of its inherent problems, then, well, then we could do some real living. And so through the ages and still today, people look for escape routes, a way out of the despair, the darkness, and death. Great philosophers and religious thinkers have thought and dreamed and speculated, looking for a light, a way out of the darkness, out of the flesh. And some of these man-made religions catch on, and thousands, even millions, line up and follow the light, confident that release from the pain and futility of life in the flesh is just ahead. These lights always fade and fail, and those who have been deceived crash in the horror of death in the flesh. Others attempt to build ladders up and out of the despair of life in the flesh. They make ladders of human wisdom, political salvation, scientific inquiry, social progress, or moral uprightness. These ladders are planted firmly on the ground of life in the flesh and aimed up, and men begin to climb. They build as they go, adding new rungs as they are able. And some of these ladders seem strong and safe, and many clamor on, hopeful that the ladder will lead them up out of the misery of life in the flesh. But every ladder, every scheme, always comes up short. The top rung is reached, and the next rung just isn't there. Only darkness and death all around. Always the one who was so confidently climbing finds himself tumbling back through the darkness, back to life in the flesh, back to death. No one can climb out of life in the flesh. But everyone wishes they could. Everyone wants there to be something more something better than this brief, disappointing, painful, unfair life. So people search and climb and hope. 
like the conquistadors of old, scrounging around Florida, looking for the fountain of youth. People continue to scour and look for the secret, the formula, the system, whatever it is that will free them from the flesh. They may not realize it, but everyone in the flesh is looking for the same thing. They all want life in the light, life with peace, life that doesn't end. It goes by many names, bliss, utopia, nirvana, paradise, heaven, the place where the flesh does not drag you down, the spiritual place where life continues. Whatever it is called, it is the goal of every creature who lives in the flesh. And it is there in that place that, of course, God lives. And he does exist. And there in his presence is the life force or the spirit that animates and guides everything in creation. The ancient Greeks called this force or power the logos or logos. The logos is the perfect will of God in action in the world. The logos makes things happen. And the Bible uses exactly this word when it tells us that God created all things through the Logos, which was with God from the very beginning. In fact, John declares that this Logos is God. In English, Logos translates as simply word. The word is the power of God. And it is this power, this life of God that all people know they need and all people desire and all people seek but never find and never reach it can't be done you can't get up out of the flesh and climb the heights to God and his word you can't do it you can't reach up and grab the truth of God's logos can't happen you're stuck in the flesh you can't avoid the despair you can't elude death. You can't escape the flesh. And then, incredibly, the word, God himself, becomes flesh. What no man could have imagined happened. The eternal Lord, the Logos, became a real flesh and blood child, a fetus inside the flesh of a woman. The word, the power of everything, got skin and blood and bones and muscles and membranes and organs and guts. He got it all. He got flesh, real human flesh. God himself filled the gap. God filled the impossible gulf between men who die in the flesh and the perfect joy and beauty of God. God filled the space that could not be bridged by ladders, could not be navigated by fading lights. He filled the gap with himself. God became flesh. He was born a painful, noisy, sloppy, bloody reality. He was born, just like every baby is born. God became flesh. 
Sometimes we forget just how mind-blowing this all is, this message of Christmas. Distracted by the busyness and the delights of the season, we forget the astounding reality of Christmas. Think about it. God became human, one of us, a flesh and blood, muscles and sweat man. And he did it to fill the dark chasm, to fill it with himself. It is the key to the entire message of the Christian gospel. The church cannot exist without this truth. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. Man does not find God. God finds man. God comes to him, and he comes on man's level. Actually, John packs even more into this verse than our English translations readily allow. The word that we translate live, when it says the word lived among us, is literally to pitch one's tent to tabernacle. Remember, in the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that God was using to be present with his people. At the tabernacle, the people of Israel would stand in awe as they would watch the presence of God, what they called the Shekinah, enter into the tent of meeting. At the tabernacle, God was present for his people. But the tabernacle of the Old Testament was only a hint. It was fulfilled and surpassed when God became flesh. At Christmas, the Shekinah, the glory of God's very presence, became flesh. No more tents. Now God's glory was in living, breathing, walking human flesh. In Jesus, God was man. Whenever the Shekinah of God's presence appeared in the Old Testament, it was always a vision of glory. It left people speechless. And John tells us that this glory of God was visible in Jesus. In the flesh of Jesus, there was glory to be seen. But the glory of God in Jesus was not what people expected. Armies of heavenly angels didn't wander around following Jesus, and he didn't actually have a halo or radiate brilliant rays of glory when he walked around. His voice did not rumble with the resonant bass that would shake the ground. Jesus was just a man, so normal that most people didn't realize, couldn't realize that when they saw Jesus, they saw God. They didn't see God because they were looking for something a little more sensational, a little more dramatic. What they wanted was better, brighter light, a stronger, longer ladder they could climb. They didn't like God's way. People still do this today. They don't want what God gives. They don't want a crucified Savior. They can't believe that a man who is so utterly normal and who dies so horribly and helplessly could actually be the glory of God. He didn't look like God. He can't really be God, can he? God doesn't walk on earth. God doesn't get hungry. God doesn't suffer. God doesn't die. 
And because Jesus does not fit people's expectations about God, they reject him. They don't see God's glory. But the glory is there. Whether people then or now recognize it or not, Jesus is the glory of God. In Jesus, God made himself known. He made his love known. And that's the glory. God's greatest glory is not flashy splendor and rumbling mountains and majesty. God's greatest glory is love. Love that took on flesh. Love that lived in humility. Love that carried the pain and sorrow of the world. Love that even carried the sin of the world. Jesus suffered. He died. Indeed, Jesus loved. That's the glory. In the flesh, Jesus died for all of us in the flesh. He entered the darkness. He endured the pain. He experienced the futility. He suffered the hell. It all happened in the word made flesh. It all happened on the cross. It was the work of divine love, and so it was the greatest glory of God. God's glory was and is the flesh on the cross, the bloody, beaten, twisted, and mutilated flesh of Jesus hanging on bare wood. That is the ultimate expression of God's glory. It's glory because it is love. For broken man living in a broken world, life in the flesh is miserable from start to finish. It begins in pain and ends in death. No wonder anyone paying attention and thinking wants out. But in his marvelous plan, God took those three words in the flesh and he gave them new meaning. He made in the flesh a declaration of comfort and joy because he claimed those words for himself. He took flesh on himself and he changed everything. Yes, you are still in the flesh. You know it. You still suffer in the flesh. You still grieve in the flesh. You still will die in the flesh. But everything's changed now because God has become flesh. Now you have the light of God in your darkness. You aren't lost. You aren't overwhelmed. Now you have the peace of God in your affliction. You aren't forsaken. You aren't hopeless. Now you have the life of God in your death. You aren't doomed to eternal death. Darkness does not win. Because God came in the flesh, your flesh is no longer the trap and the terminal sentence that it once was. Now your flesh has been saved. God doesn't take you out of the flesh. No, he redeems your flesh. You don't need ladders. You don't need lights. You don't need insights. You don't need guides. You only need Jesus.
the Word incarnate, the Word made flesh. He bridged the gap between God and man with himself. Eternal peace in God's presence, it's yours now. It's yours because the Word became flesh and saved your flesh forever. Amen.